You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. I always like being back at Asbury because I come from the Wesley tradition. I grew up in the Methodist Church, and that's where I first kind of heard about Jesus and uh came to the altar, dedicated my life to Christ, and I've been figuring that out ever since. You know, there's a lot of people that I meet that are like, tell me about all the things that they were into before they met Jesus, you know, and how they uh, went to jail and were into drugs. And they're like, then I met Jesus and everything came together. And uh, God bless you if that's your story. But for me, I feel like I pretty much had my life together and I met Jesus and he messed me up. I, I, I kind of like... Um, started reading the things that Jesus said and he, you know, saw Jesus saying, if you want to be the greatest, become the least. And here I was, prom king. It was a small town. Don't be impressed. You know, but I, I, got, I was trying to figure out how I could find a job, make the most amount of money I could and go snowboarding as much as I, I, I could possibly find time to do. You know, I was very uh, self-centered in that little world. And then I kept leaning in though. You know, and I, I saw Jesus saying, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. I heard a preacher say, if we find ourselves climbing the ladder of upward mobility uh, and status and success, we should be careful, careful as we climb our, our way up or else we might pass Jesus on his way down. That the whole story of Jesus is a, 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 about a God who leaves all the comfort of heaven to join the struggle here on earth. And so the, as I read the, the kingdom of God, it challenges me, right? It's, it's, the, it's upside down, the last or first, the first or last. As uh, the gospel of Luke says, the mighty are cast from their thrones and the lowly are lifted. So I, I, I wanted to learn how to follow Jesus. And, and I went to Philadelphia uh, to go to college, a little school called Eastern University. In many ways, it reminds me of uh, Asbury, about the same size, got a gr really great vibe and community spirit to it. And it was while we were uh, studying that one of my friends came in the, in the middle of the cafeteria and said, check this out, you're not going to believe it. And he put down a newspaper and it was the story of how a group of homeless families in Philadelphia had moved into an abandoned Catholic church building. And these were families, moms, and children who were on the waiting list for affordable housing in Philadelphia, had no real options as the winter was approaching. And so the headline article said, Church Resurrected. And it talked about how they had made this abandoned cathedral home. But as we kept reading, it ended by saying that the Catholic Church uh, considered that they were trespassing on the church's property and gave them an eviction notice and a timeline of 48 hours. If they weren't out in two days, they could be arrested. You know, it's one of those times where you sort of throw your hands up at God and you go, God, you need to do something. And you sort of hear God say, I did do something. I made you get down there, you know. And so we went down and we found that cathedral on the front of the building that the families had hung a banner that said, how can we worship a homeless man on Sunday and ignore one on Monday? We knocked on the door and they, they welcomed us into their struggle. In fact, it started a student movement 
on our campus that ended up about 100 of us. I mean, that was about 10% of our campus at the time, you know, ended up kind of moving in and being uh, in solidarity with those families and commuting back and forth and trying to do our classes in school, you know, papers and stuff. But we, we really... Uh, it was in there that we saw courage. You know, we, these families held a press conference and they said, we mean no disrespect to the Catholic officials, but we don't have many options here. And we've been praying about it. We've talked to your boss, the Lord Almighty, right? And God said, we can stay in the church until we figure something else out. And so they did for months and months. They remained in that church. And it was in there that we... Uh, started reading about the early church in the book of Acts, right? This community that was uh, so touched by the Spirit of God that they began to hold their possessions differently, right? It says in the book of Acts that no one claimed any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. And it says that there were no needy persons among them. This community of Jesus, as it began to form, they show us what uh, love looks like, what community looks like. And we got inspired by that. And as the story with the cathedral kind of uh, ended, many of those families are still dear friends. And uh, those kids have now grown up and they're, they're uh, young activists and theologians. And, and we started our little community with that vision of the early church uh, to try to live the gospel out of dinner tables and living rooms to make God's love real in the world. It was in that old abandoned cathedral that I think we kind of said, we're going to stop complaining about the church that we've experienced and work on becoming the church that we dream of. You know, how can we um, reimagine what it means to be the body of Christ in the world? And that, that community of Jesus I love reading about the early Christians because they, they kind of give us a new imagination with what it means to be the people of God, you know, in our time. And they were, you know, they were a wild bunch. They were, they were because they called themselves brothers and sisters, they were accused of incest, right? Uh, and, and Tertullian corrected folks and said, no, 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 uh, we call each other brother and sister because we believe we're born again right? That we're, we're a new family in the Spirit of God. And he said, we share everything in common except for our spouses. Just to make that clear, you know, like we share everything, but they, with, with a little exception, right? And he began to, uh, the people were mesmerized by this community that shared and loved and welcomed people that everyone else had excluded. They were also accused of being cannibals because they had this weird tradition, right? Of eating the body and drinking the blood of Jesus, that folks were going, who are these kind of renegade Jews? And, and they began to look at that community. And one of the, the things that happened was they had a different kind of political imagination, right? That they, they uh, had proclaimed their new allegiance was to Jesus, not to Caesar. So every time they were saying, Jesus is Lord, they were saying, Caesar is not. You're going to have to get a little rowdy up here. I'm just going to give you permission to say amen. Because after Methodism, I got in the Pentecostal church a little bit. So you can get a little, you can, you can get a little bit amen okay? Uh, but you know, I, I, when you look in the book of Acts, what it also says in Acts 17 is these Christians have caused trouble all over the empire. It says in Acts 17, they are defying Caesar's decrees and they are uh, declaring another king. One named Jesus. I think uh, of that 
community. Uh, they were wonderful, holy troublemakers, you know, and that, that's what, you know, kind of became a part of our little community in Philly as we began to welcome folks on the street and we began to uh, take care of folks that were addicted and folks coming out of domestic violence. We, we lifted a lot of people off the streets and there sort of comes a point where uh, Dr. Martin Luther King says it so well. He said, uh, we're all called to be the good Samaritan and lift our neighbor out of the ditch but after you lift so many people out of the ditch, you start to say, maybe we need to rethink the whole road to Jericho, right? We got to do something about what is landing people in the ditch to begin with. So our work of compassion led us into the work of justice and activism, right? We began to see uh, laws that were squashing our, uh, the dignity of our brothers and sisters. We began to see Caesar's decrees getting in the way of of God's call to love our neighbor, right? One of those first laws in Philly was uh, laws that were anti-homeless laws. They were selectively created to discriminate against the homeless. They've been passed all over our country, but these laws included uh, uh, making it illegal to sleep in public places, illegal to sleep in the public parks. Uh, one of the laws in Philadelphia uh, was a feeding ordinance that made it illegal to share food with folks that were on the street. Uh, and so we thought that we, we've got to we want the humility of Jesus, but we also want the courage of Jesus right now. So we prayed and we thought, what can we do? And so we decided we would organize uh, a, a, a little public picnic, you know, in the middle of one of the parks where you weren't allowed to share food. And so we, we decided, you know, let's start with worship. Let's tread lightly, you know. And so we brought our guitars and our drums and we, we worship Jesus and then we serve communion which was kind of pushing the envelope a little bit, you know. And But the police were around. They're like, I'm not arresting them for communion. In fact, I think I might take communion. You know, and, and like after the communion, we kept breaking the bread by bringing in some pizzas and stuff. And so eventually, you know, as we were there, uh, the police were ordered to come in and to arrest us all. And so we were handcuffed, dozens of us handcuffed, taken to jail. Some of our homeless friends that never intended to be arrested, they were also arrested. We were uh, put in handcuffs, taken to jail, and charged with all kinds of stuff, right? And so uh, I love that scripture that says, don't worry when they drag you before the courts because the Spirit will give you the words, right? So we prayed, you know, Spirit, give us the words, and we um, kind of discerned together who's going to represent us in court. We had all these great lawyers that had volunteered. We're like, awesome, come. We need your help. But we really felt like we wanted one of the folks that had lived on the street to be our spokesperson. You know, that just seemed right. And, and uh, our, our friend Alfonso volunteered, which was great because he was smooth. You know, he, we all knew him as Fonz because he was a smooth talker. You know, so he, he agrees to represent us. So we go to trial, and I've got a shirt on as we go to trial that says, Jesus was homeless. And the first thing the judge does, he goes, come here. Let me see that shirt. Jesus was homeless. And the judge goes, hmm, I didn't know that. And I said, yeah, your honor, in the scripture, Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And the judge said, you guys might stand a chance. And uh, we did, you know, as we went to trial, um, Fonzo stood up and Fonz said, your honor, I'm the spokesperson for the group. And I'd like to say on behalf of all of us, we believe these laws are evil and wrong. And we rest our case. Boom. You know. 
the district attorney was uh, not impressed by this. You know, she uh, she wanted she was trying to get us to actually serve jail time. She wanted us to pay thousands and thousands of dollars in fines, and this was a kicker. She wanted us to have hours and hours of mandatory court-sanctioned community service. <laughs> like, no, don't make us feed homeless people or something. You know, so we we uh, you know, we argued our case and. In the middle of the trial, the judge said, listen, you don't have to convince me that these people broke the law. It's very clear to me that they broke the law. What's in question uh, is the law, uh, the laws that we're passing in this city that are hurting our most vulnerable citizens. And then the judge said, let me remind the court that if it weren't for people who broke the unjust laws, we wouldn't have the freedom that we have. This what, that's what this country's built on from the Boston Tea Party to the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, have you heard of the Underground Railroad? He said, uh, we have a whole tradition of good trouble. And he said, let me remind the court that uh, if it weren't for that, those freedom fighters, we wouldn't have the freedom that we have. And he said, these guys are not criminals. They're freedom fighters. And I find them all not guilty on every charge. Dropped all our charges that day. And then he said, and how can I get one of those t-shirts? So I sent him one, you know, but that was a good lesson for me as in my own faith to remember that if we really take Jesus seriously, it, it may put us in conflict with some of the predominant patterns in our world, which is why I love that verse from Romans. It says, let us not conform, right, to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let's live with the imagination of the spirit where the last are first and the first are last. It's that uh, non-conformity to the patterns of this world that has caused so many people to be those holy troublemakers. Like Martin Luther King, you know, he said, when I first went to jail, I was a little troubled. But then I looked at history and saw what good company I have behind bars, right? We think of our sweet Lord Jesus. We think of so many of the saints and the martyrs. They went to jail. We think of those who were ahead of their time, who were arguing and fighting for justice. And they often went to jail. So at one point, Dr. King was accused of being maladjusted. And he actually embraced the word, right? He said, maladjusted. Maybe I am, because we live in a world that has become way too adjusted to racism, a world that has become way too adjusted to the inequities between the rich and the poor. We've become way too adjusted to violence. And Dr. King said we need some holy, maladjusted people in the world. Amen? Right now we need uh, some good trouble. We need some folks who are not just conforming to the patterns, but that are questioning the patterns, especially the patterns that are hurting our brothers and sisters. And that, you know, the new questions have always surfaced for me, you know, as we continue to follow Jesus. I guess since then I've gone to jail a few other times, you know, but most recently around the separations at our border, the children, I went to a detention center and saw the children, some of whom we know now, five, over 500. We don't know where their parents are. We visited those places. And, you know, sometimes I'm convinced of this, 
that we talk about these issues, but we don't always ha have the proximity to the pain, right? We talk about issues, but at the end of the day, these are not just political issues, like welcoming immigrants. That's not a Democrat thing. That's not a Republican thing. That's a Jesus thing. Jesus said, when you welcome the stranger, you welcome me. When you don't welcome the stranger, you don't welcome me. Uh, when we have kids in cages, uh, you're doing that to me. These things matter to God. When we uh, 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 welcome the foreigner, the scripture says, we might be entertaining angels unawares. So this is holy work at the heart of our faith, right? I, I, I think right now we get distracted by the, the election sometimes, you know, and I, I learned when I, I went to Iraq and Afghanistan uh, to have kind of a bigger imagination with these things because I was standing uh, against the war regardless of who the president was. I just became convinced because of my love for Jesus that violence isn't going to solve the hostilities of our world, right? That after 9-11, uh, in our grief and in our pain, we don't launch a war to try to heal the wounds that were inflicted on us. That when Jesus said, love your enemies, he meant we shouldn't kill them, that we can transcend the violence. We look at Jesus on the cross and he absorbed all the violence of the world, the hatred, and he transcended it with love and forgiveness and an empty tomb. So I went to Iraq in that spirit in Afghanistan, and we were in Iraq during the bombing of Baghdad. And uh, I mean, at one point, there were some 900 bombs a day, I understand, falling on Baghdad while we were there. I saw some of the most horrific things I've ever experienced in my life. We were volunteering in hospitals. And so there's one moment, though, I'll never forget, and it was a worship service, a prayer service in the middle of Baghdad. Christians all over the region had come together to pray for peace, and it was just as the bombs had started falling, and I can remember um, that night uh, we uh, prayed for peace, and then the bishops from all the de de different denominations came up, and they had collaboratively written a statement that was addressed to Muslim people, and it said, we want you to know that we love you. We want you to know as Muslims, we believe that you are made in the image of God just as much as anyone else. We came from the same dirt that God breathed life into, and they read this declaration of love for uh, Muslims, and then they, they uh, pointed to the cross, and, and the bishop said, this cross makes no sense to the wisdom of this world, as the scripture said, but it's this cross that shows us the narrow way to life. It's this cross that shows us uh, how to heal a world so full of violence. It's this cross that is at the center of our faith. And then the whole place started singing Amazing Grace in Arabic right? Singing Amazing Grace. I'm listening to my, my brothers and sisters in Iraq singing Amazing Grace. I still get chills in my bones as they were singing it in Arabic, and I had tears rolling down my face, and I, I ran up after the, 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 they sang it, and I grabbed one of the bishops, and I, I, I was a little hyper. I know it's hard to imagine, but I got a little hyper, and I, I went up to the bishop, and I said, Bishop, 
I feel the Holy Spirit in this place. I said, this is one of the most powerful worship services I've ever been in. And then I said something a little ignorant. I was, I was you know, talking real fast. I said, Bishop, I had no idea that there were so many Christians in Iraq. And then he stopped me on my tracks and he said, yes, son, this is where Christianity started. He pointed out the window and he said, that's the Tigris River and the Euphrates. Have you heard of them before? And he said, the Garden of Eden is right down the street. And then he said this, he said, you didn't invent Christianity in America. You just domesticated it. And he said, you go back and you tell the church in North America to remember who they are at such a time as this, to remember who they are. And he went on to say, tell them, preach what Jesus said. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Blessed are the peacemakers. Invite them to remember what Jesus said and to take it seriously. So that uh, those words, you know, they, they've shaped who I am and who I think, how I think. I think of Dr. King, as he said, uh, you know, 50 years ago, he said, these are extreme times that we're living in. It's amazing he said this 50 years ago. These are extreme times that we're living in. And the question isn't whether or not we will be extremists. The question is, what kind of extremists will we be? Will we be extremists for hatred or extremists for love? And our Savior was an extremist for love. He put the spotlight on those that everybody was forgetting, right? He, he reminded us that whatever we do to the least among us, we do it to Him. I don't think God cares about how stocks are doing. God cares how the poor are doing. God cares how the least among us are doing, right? When we look at our country, the health of our nation can be seen in how the most vulnerable, the least of these are being treated in our midst. And at the end of the day, right, Jesus says all of us are going to be gathered before God. And we're going to be asked a few questions. And if we take Jesus to his word in Matthew 25, the questions we're going to be asked by God are not just doctrinal questions. I know that's disturbing at a Christian college, you know, like, but uh, according to Jesus, it's not going to be like uh, virgin birth, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree, right? We, we can pass a doctrinal test, right? But we're going to be asked, did you visit me when I was in prison? Did you welcome me when I was a stranger? When I was in need of health care and I was sick, did you take care of me? When I was hungry, did you feed me? In the end, the real test of our faith is how it manifests itself in concrete love and compassion and justice for the most vulnerable people in our world. And I, I, I want to say that I don't believe our works earn our salvation. Our salvation is through Christ alone, but our works demonstrate 
our salvation, right? If, if we uh, aren't visiting folks in prison and caring for the hungry and the sick and, and uh, welcoming the stranger, then we might just be worshipers of Jesus and not followers. And Jesus did not come into the world to make believers. He came to make disciples, right? The scripture says that even the demons believe and they shudder, but demons do not love. Demons do not welcome foreigners. And we can see the scriptures say you can have faith to move mountains but if you don't have love it's still empty you can uh, speak in the tongues of men and of angels and do all sorts of miracles and prophecies but if you don't have love it's still a, a, a gong and an empty symbol and so we we look at this world right now and I want to invite us as we close to think about what it means to pledge our allegiance to Jesus right now because there's a lot of folks talking about the election and I think some Sometimes the biggest challenge in election season is we forget where our hope lies, right? And our hope uh, for us who follow Jesus is not in Caesar, it is in Christ. Our hope is not in the donkey of the Democrats or the elephant of the GOP. Our hope is in the Lamb of God, the risen Savior. Our hope is in Christ alone. And I, I you know, I, I think of, I think we need to vote. I think we need to vote because there's a lot at stake. And I'm not just thinking of voting as who. I'm not looking for a savior when I vote. I'm looking to harness the principalities and powers that are hurting our brothers and sisters. So I'm going to vote with the least of these in mind. I hope you do too. I'm going to vote thinking I'm going to vote for those 500 kids that don't have their moms and dads. I'm going to vote for DACA recipients, probably some, some of whom are in this room wanting a path to citizenship. I'm going to vote for incarcerated fo folks whose vote has been taken from them. I'm going to vote for Breonna Taylor. I'm going to vote for black lives. I'm going to vote for those who are hurting, those who are groaning, those who are saying, I can't breathe. And I know when I put my voice with theirs, I will be blessed because those are the people Jesus has promised to bless. God loves everybody. But God is also putting at the center of our attention those lives that have been crushed by our policies, by our history. And so we, when we choose Jesus, we choose them. When we choose Jesus, we choose to be with those who have been crushed because we follow the one the God who came into the world as a brown-skinned, Palestinian, Jewish refugee as Herod was slaughtering little children. We follow the one who came from a town where people said nothing good can come. Look how God shows up, right? We follow a Savior who uh, was humiliated on the cross, stripped naked to expose all of the horror that we are capable of, to absorb the violence and pain of the world and to transcend it with love. That's the one that we follow.